0: Your goal is to create happy customers who mm-hmm. then create other happy customers. So congratulations! Here's what I've done. The best of the best. have what the following. We're selling, going, going, gone. So congratulations. Let's have a look at the facts. What's your goal for the next six months? Alrighty, so gang. Actually I'm gonna talk about, you know, very briefly about I didn't, you know, I did a number of auctions yesterday, like I do most Saturdays, and I do somewhere between um, hi, Peter. Hi, Melita. Um, I do, you know, um, maybe somewhere between, you know, six to 13 auctions every Saturday. Um, and um, um, what I'm going to say, so hi to everyone. I'm not going to say hi anymore because I'm, I want to get on with it and I don't want people uh, hanging out. Hey, Nikki Heaton, how are you going? Hey, Clint. Um, So I did an auction and I got someone that followed me to my car and it was a a good auction because there was a lot of people bidding and there was a kind of property that was always going to have strong buyer energy and it just went off and um, the jokes in the auction went off so um, it ticked all the boxes in terms of being a good auction to watch and what actually happened is a guy followed me um, to the car and I've seen him at a few auctions before and he said to me, Mate, I have to say, watching you in action, you are a naturally born talent performer. That was just beautiful to watch at, and I'd love to be able to find out what your website is, because I want to come in and watch more auctions. And um, I thought to myself, you know, that was really nice of him to say that, and um, he went on to say, um, uh, how long have you been doing auctions? And I said to him, like, you know, I think, you know, like two decades. And as I got into my car and I drove off, I then began to realize that a lot of the times, like what this guy saw was three minutes. And this three minutes of work has been going on for 20 years, every week. We're talking thousands of times. And then what he watched was three minutes. And in his eyes, he saw someone that was a natural-born talent. But in reality, that's far from the truth. The reality is, that is a result of hundreds and 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 hundreds of auctions and learning and screwing up and fixing this and learning to read the play and having intuition and working out that this works here and then being able to walk into a room and understand this person is going to be reserved during the auction and this person you can have fun with and all of a sudden it looks really good in three minutes but what that person didn't see is all the hours And that made me think about the fact that in most things in life, Whether it's a sports performer, what you see on the park is 45 minutes. What you don't see is the years and years of tuition and practice and coaching the person's had and the hours that they put in. What do you see in a swimmer? You see a swimmer that looks, you know, elegant and flows and fast and wins gold medal. What you don't see is the 3 a.m. starts that happen for 15 years, even in the cold winters coming out of a pool. So, for me, I think it's easy for people to feel, and I'm gonna, don't take this, don't take this the hard way, but it's easy when you watch someone that's good at a job to say that that person's talented because people like to know that it's one simple thing. But in reality, what I think is this, people like to resort to talent for this reason. Because when they resort to talent, it takes away the responsibility that they have themselves that if they wanted to be something outstanding, if they wanted to become world class, if they wanted to become a pro, they could do it. But it would mean the repetition of mundane, boring, routine things over and over again. And the collection of these things over a long period of time where you actually got it right, where it looked like you were very talented. So, um, and I was reading a book recently called Grit. And Grit talks about the fact that nearly anyone that appears to be super talented on something has actually had many, many years. And Nikki Hona said it there ...the 10,000 hours rule... ...where they just had lots of hours at doing something. So um, that photo... So I'm going to move on to the rant. And that photo um, there, guys and girls, that I posted is... ...you know, a photo in 1978. Um, I'm in Year 5 at Belmore South Primary School. And um, I'm a young, young, young child. Um, I'm the oldest of two boys... Um, my parents have migrated over from Greece in uh, the early 60s, and I'm going to school. Um, and as I looked at that photo this morning, I thought to myself, shit, a lot's happened over the you know, last you know, 45 years or so. And I was able to pin down what I thought were seven events that have happened in my life that in many ways I look backwards. I did a reverse like a movie played backwards and I thought to myself that happened for that reason and this all got spurred on by a book I was reading I can see clearly now by Dr Wayne Dyer and um, it's about the fact that when things happen, you don't know why they happen, but when you look back in your life, you realize that that happened for this reason. So what I'm going to do is, and I'm going to not swear too much here, because I'd like anyone that's got any of their young children to come in and join on this rant, because there are seven golden lessons that have shaped my life, and I wish I knew these lessons as a young person. It's 1973, and I've got a friend. His name's Tony. His parents own a milk bar at the top of our street on Canterbury Road, Belmore. Tony is disabled. I don't know exactly the medical term, but um, all I do know is that he is in a, a, a bus picks him up regularly. Uh, called the New South Wales, you know. I don't know. I think the word is spastic bus, but guys and girls, please don't hammer me if I've used the wrong words. The point I'm making is, I want you to understand it's it's a bus that talked about uh, people that were born with uh, uh, strong disabilities, and he actually looks he looks he looks different. But I don't know that when I'm a young person because all I know is that he's the closest person to me. He is my friend and with him we play and build and we play with cars and we play games. And um, this friendship with Tony happens for I think age four, five, six, seven, thereabouts. And all I know is, so Susan thank you, cerebral uh, palsy is the word. And all I know is that he's a close friend of mine and I see past his disability because when you're a young kid, you don't know things like that. And then one day I'm uh, a little bit older with some other kids and the bus that picks him up leaves. And what actually happens is I notice that all these kids start making fun and saying, There's the spastics, there's the spastics and I'm making fun at the bus. Um, At this point, I look back and I feel very very uncomfortable because what they're talking about is my friend. And then I begin to realise for the first time that people have got prejudice, that there's discrimination. And at this time is I learn that um, as a young person, you grow up being clean thinking, not being conditioned by any of your peers. But as you get older, you get affected by a thing called group shift. Um, I can see clearly now, and what I learned there very early, that was a gift to have a relationship with Tony. And I don't know where he is now. I lost contact with him many years ago. But what I do know is this, the relationship with Tony teaches me to understand equality. The relationship with Tony helps me understand that there should be no reason why people are discriminated against on the way um, that they look or on a disability. So this has ended up being um, something extremely useful in my life. And whilst I can't turn around and say that Um, And I think we all, whether we like it or not, we are all born with some sort of conditioning to make assumptions in our heads about minority groups. But I do know that from a very early age, whether it's people that were isolated at school because they came across as a sissy, or whether it was someone because of their race, or whether it was someone that was picked on because they were the new person, I always know that I've sat there And I hung around with what I would call the people that many would say were the losers. And that is because of the fact that at an early stage, God brought me into a relationship with Tony. This in turn has ended up helping me with my two daughters. My two daughters from a young age learned the importance. And I'm proud to tell you that... Um, many years ago, Madeline, my oldest daughter, was the only girl um, at a Westfield play center. She was only four or five playing with a girl that had uh, uh, Down syndrome while others made fun of her. And that mother of that girl came up to me and offered me $20 to buy Madeline a gift because she was such a good girl. So as Chrissy says, Tony was a gift and I can see clearly now. We move on and this is uncomfortable for me to say but you know by now that one of the things I talk about is vulnerability and vulnerability is that shows that you're real and you're authentic and I'm going to tell you now it's in the late 70s, late 70s and I take on a job as a paperboy. There's a news agency at the top of my street to my parents, uh, uh, um, the, like my parents resisted in me getting a job. Um, I wanted to get a job and get some pocket money. So I take a job doing a paper run. That paper run is on a Saturday and Sunday morning. I blow a whistle and I walk the streets selling newspapers. I do it and um, after about a year and a half um, on this uh, particular day, a gentleman, um, which I would actually refer to as a scumbag now, um, and probably the most horrible people that you can actually meet, Um, on the planet and you'll see why in a moment Um, on a particular week he gives me um, a big tip for the newspaper Um, and when I'm saying a big tip I'm saying something in the vicinity and I can't remember but about um, three times what the cost of the newspaper is then the following week does a similar thing Um, and um, by around week 3 week 4 He uh, asked me to come into his house. Um, When we're in the house, he pulls out these toys and he shows me. I'm beginning to feel uncomfortable, um, but I do nothing. And I sit there and I can tell that this is not feeling right. Um, He then asks me whether he can touch me. At that point, I tell him, my father has said if that ever happens, that I've got to tell him straight away. He panics and he says, Don't say a word or we'll both get into a lot of trouble. To cut a long story short, um, I leave the house. At this point, I then begin to realise that my parents have warned me for good reason. About three months later, we're at McDonald's with my mum and dad, and the scumbag is sitting there having a burger. He sees me with my parents and he just ducks. He would have been about 50 years of age. Um, one of the things, and I'm and I'm grateful. Whether I was uh, street smart, whether I was lucky, call it what you like. The bottom line is nothing happened. But I've always felt I've always felt a strong connection and a pain for those that have got uh, uh, had sexual assaults on them, and I understand. But what does that teach me at this point? I learn. I begin to understand that adult figures and authority figures can be bad people as well because till that time i'm thinking to myself that if you're an adult they're always right if they're a school teacher they're always right if they're a person that is older than you that they're always right and at this point i begin to realize that that is not the case this helps me a lot because as i get older i 'm not one to actually be someone that gets um, I become skeptical even with teachers. I then begin to realize and understand that even though they 're a school teacher, they may be actually um, uh, nothing they may have their own issues. Um, I understand that what you 've got to do is just be careful at everything that people say, even they 're an adult. The way I say that to you now guys and girls, particularly if there's any young people there. If you're ever in a situation similar to what I said, or if someone touches you, you immediately, you immediately go off and you tell other people because you have the power and all they're doing is playing a scaredy cat game. Um, And as time goes by, even at high school, there was a, a teacher that we had, a female, It was everyone sort of knew that she was having an affair with uh, uh, one of the students. And uh, at this point, I knew very, very well that, you know, school teachers, okay, you're there to learn, but the bottom line is they're not God. Let's move on. It's now 1985, 1985, and I'm in year 12. Um, we're walking through a park called Clempton Park at Kingsgrove. It's Tuesday Sport. I'm there with a bunch of guys, you know, that I hang out in my cricket team. As we're walking through Clempton Park, we see a PE teacher. And from a real far distance, we think to ourselves, he can't see us. I've got to watch everything I say here because I'm pretty certain there are people that um, this rant pops on their timeline or they follow me because they know me from school and what have you. Um, So I won't uh, mention any names, but I will mention the teacher's name. The teacher's name is Mr. Riley. He's a PE teacher. And from the distance, we're on the top of the hill and he's further down. I could maybe say three, four hundred metres. And we yell out or a bunch of us yell out. Um. Mr. Riley sucks big cops. Why do we say it? Fucking stupidity. Why did I say it? Because I've been there with all these mates and at the end of the day, what do I say? If you don't want to slip, don't hang around slippery spots. So I'm with the wrong group of people. The next day, we get called in to the principal's office. The principal calls us in and he sits us down and he starts talking to each of us individually. I have to tell you, I'm panicking. Out of those guys there, I'm a prefect. The others aren't. Um, At the end of the day, I'm sitting there and I regret everything that we've done. So I come clean. We get asked and asked and asked. And at the end of the day, when the principal says, the words he heard was Mr. Riley sucks big cocks. In the end, after resisting, I confirm That's exactly what we said. I'm asked whether I said it as well, and I said yes. The long and short of it is this. The others lied. The others deny it. The others end up getting a punishment four times mine. What I get is the cane, but I am able to retain to stay as a prefect, and um, life moves on. I can see clearly, what I see clearly now, that it's always made sense in my life on two things. Number one, and that is, if you hang around with dickheads, you become a dickhead. Number two, I learned that if you come clean and you're honest, it's probably the best policy in the end. And um, number three is read the play. Be smart. At the end of the day, let's face it, I had the principal telling me the words, Mr. Riley sucks big what have you. So he actually knew word for word what was said. So at the end of the day, I look back, telling the truth, avoiding slippery spots. Okay, let's move on. By the way, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, um, share the rant. It's now 1989 um, or 1988. I think it's 1988. And um, I'm in a relationship, um, and I would say that this is probably the longest girlfriend um, I've had at this point. Um, It's an interesting one. It's a relationship that ends up being um, all about lust, but then moves on um, to the next level. Um, After a year or two years, um, 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 my heart's broken. I'm dumped. For another guy another guy who's older another guy who's got a hot car and another guy that she wants to be with i think to myself my world is falling apart i think to myself i will never ever ever find anyone like this person again i lose sleep i'm upset i'm devastated i cry um, even my parents they feel like i'm going into a big slump um we fast forward 6 months later she makes contact with me um we uh, uh catch up the strange thing is i can't understand that every feeling i had no longer existed i can see clearly now is this no matter how shit a situation is you could be dumped You can actually think to yourself, things will never be like that again. What actually happens is the pain becomes permanent and it actually pervades all areas of your life. And you actually think to yourself that um, things are going to be never the same again. But the truth of the story is this. The reality is that six months later, I can't understand when I see this person how I actually had any feelings toward them. In many ways, they just feel like they're any other person. Um, So, um, um, you know, then, over the years, uh, once or twice, um, I've run into uh, this person, um, at um, whether it's a shopping center or what have you, and uh, I can see clearly now is thank God it ended. Um, Let's move on. It's now uh, 19... Let's fast forward. It's 1995. It's 1995. Um, And I want to share this story with you. Um, I'm at home and I get a phone call on a Saturday. It's a real estate agent. And what's actually happened is the auctioneer, I've been working for a group called Robert R. Andrew as a head office trainer. I get a phone call, the auctioneer um, can't be contacted with 10 minutes to go, hasn't confirmed whether they're going to the auction. He panics. So what I do is I get dressed up and I go there. At this point, I've never, ever done an auction in my whole life, never, never. I go to the property and we wait. The auctioneer does not answer the phone. The auctioneer does not show up. We have no choice, but I'd say I'll do the auction. The agent says, are you sure you can do it? I said, yes. I jump in and I do it. The property sells. There's strong bidding and the agent is very happy with me. So he uses me again. That becomes platform for me to do more auctions because I tell people I've done um, auctions before I look back and what it is is I put on my suit and I jumped at the opportunity if you're ever given an opportunity you take that opportunity because if you don't you may not get that opportunity again if you're ever given an opportunity Just say that you can do it and find a way to get it done. This has, in fact become my strategy now in my life. Even when I've gone in and asked by a car company or a finance company um, to actually do speaking, Can They say, can you deliver on, on this brief? Can you do this? I say, absolutely. What I do is I accept the gig and then I go off and I study very, very hard on what the topic is. I even interviewed the best people in that business and then I go back with quality research and I smash it. That then gives me an opportunity to break into further companies in that industry. Again, let me repeat it. If you're given an opportunity, you take it and say, yes, I can do that for you, then find a way to do it. Okay, that's 1995. And I look back now, think about it, you know, where it's, you know, been auctioning now for like 20, what's that? That makes it 20, 20 21 years of auctions, two decades. Okay, let's move on. It's now 2006. 2006. By the way, guys and girls, if you're liking the rant, share it now. 2006. Um, I've got um, uh, a daughter who's three or four and um, um, I get diagnosed in March 2006 with cancer. It's a strange day because that day was a, like any normal day, any normal day. That day I woke up and I still remember I'm wearing a blue suit. That blue suit is a suit I'd wore three times a week. Somehow I find myself at 2.30 sitting in front of a doctor and I've been diagnosed with lymphatic cancer. Um, over the ensuring, uh weeks and months, what actually happens is... Um, My wife tells me that um, she's also pregnant with a second one. So now I have a three-year-old. I also have a wife that's pregnant. That's Christina, by the way, which has been on the rant a few times. And now we have an issue. I'm fighting for my life. The prognosis is terrible. It's not looking good. I start having nightmares. I hardly ever sleep. All I can think to myself is that... This is going to be a classic case of uh, raffle tickets being sold to support um, um, two young children, to support a mortgage. Um, Life insurance companies won't fucking touch me. Um, I'm desperate. I begin to realise that this is actually a reverse nightmare. A nightmare is when you um, uh, have it at night while you're asleep. My whole day is, in fact, a nightmare, and the only relief I have is the few hours' sleep I get, which is only two or three. So, what actually happens at this point is this: I go through treatment, I get on, you know, some experimental trial drugs, and I respond. Um, over the ensuing, you know, year or so, I get better, and then I realise that what I've got to do is make sure that. Uh, I've got to make a lot of money because I don't have the luxury of lots of life insurance. So over the next 11 years, I work my fucking ass off. I fucking go off and I hustle side businesses. I go off and I'm just working. And I'm very fortunate because I double down and triple down on property in the inner west. You know, I invest in blocks of units. I invest in houses, I renovate, I have a good run in my job, I'm picking up bonuses most um, years um, and good sizable bonuses. I open up various other little businesses that are bringing money in and I look back and now I say to myself, that's a gift that was badly wrapped. That is in fact got me financially secure to give me options and whilst I couldn't get life cover, I don't need it. Many, many years later, the same guy that sells me or tried to sell me the life cover but wouldn't give it to me comes back and he tries to get me to invest in superannuation. I say to him, you want me to invest in superannuation? I say, hang on a second. You weren't prepared to give me life cover when I was fucking desperate and down and out. Because you thought I was going to die. And now you're trying to sell me a financial product that I won't be able to access till I'm 65. I tell him to go fuck himself and get him out of the office. So I can see clearly now. What does that teach me? It teaches me this. When a lot of the times... The way that you're going to have a breakthrough in life is you must have a breakdown. And that's what it was for me. And I've got to tell you right here, right now, most people don't need therapy. They need clarity. And I had absolute clarity. I needed to make it work. I had to make money. There's another byproduct. My doctor says to me, Tom, lose 25 kilos and get super fit. Because if you have a relapse, we're going to pump you up with drugs. And what you've got to do is be super fit. I read about Lance Armstrong. And I look at the you know chemotherapy and the stem cell transplant that he's had. And what he's able to do is to respond back because he was so fit. So I make it my mind that I'm going to become super, super fit. In a matter of one year, I get down to 13% body fat. I've got to be honest with you, I can't believe the body I have. I'm thinking to myself that, shit, I'm actually ripped. And this is a major thing from being super, super fat. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm not at the level I was, right? But I'm getting better every day. So I reckon I haven't been at that level now for about, well, since, you know, last treatment a year ago. But I'm still, you know, relatively fit. But I wouldn't say I'm ripped fit. Um, So all I can say to you is that I can see clearly now that that shit happened because it helped me get my financial security in order to provide for my family. It helped me get super fit and presto, it happens. I do have a relapse and I'm able to get treatment again and again, I recover. The other thing I learned in 2006 when getting that diagnosis is this, I learned one thing. That a bad diagnosis, that phone call that you get with bad news in the middle of the night, the loss of a loved one, all the bad things happen in an instant. They happen in an instant and good things take absolute time. So that teaches me to always understand, play the long game and understand that things can happen in a minute. In a glimpse of an eye, it can be all over. I'm sitting in a waiting room at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital for a routine test. In the waiting room is a girl that I went through treatment with. We were the youngest the first time in the room. So we begin a friendship. It's interesting because I could tell that, you know, like she was a very attractive girl, but you could not see that when she was going through treatment. But now in this test, years later, her hair has grown grown back, she's lost the weight because she stopped taking the steroid treatment and she's wearing her business outfit and has come during lunchtime for her routine test and she looks a million dollars. She literally looks like a TV reporter or a model. Profound difference from where she was. We're sitting in that waiting room and we're talking and we're laughing. She then gets called in for her appointment. She comes back outside and she's boiling her eyes out. I know that there's something wrong. Three months later, she passed away. She had a relapse and a strong transformation of her cancer. At this point, I don't sleep for two, three nights because I begin to realize that we were sitting there in that waiting room together and within 10 minutes, it changed like that. I then realise that time is the most precious commodity we have and that it can be taken out in an instant. That's the learning I get out of that. Live every day as if it's your last because one day it will be. Gang, as I finish off, it's now 2016 and this is the last one before we finish up. It's 2016 and I've had a relapse. There is a lump in my lymph node um, towards my groin or hip and there is also a lump underneath my armpit on my left. They've shown up on a PET scan as hot red. Red is because it sucks up and is able to tell cancer. That's what shows up on a positive emission topography. That's why they call it a PET scan, P-E-T. Now, my doctor is absolutely certain that what's actually happened is that my diaphragm, which is in the middle of your stomach, the cancer's cross, which takes you to stage four. Stage four is a terrible spot to be in lymphatic cancer. Take it from me. Cut a long story short, my doctor goes overseas. He says to me that whilst he's overseas, before he begins what I was going to have, which was a stem cell transplant, which is a major thing where stem cells are taken out, you're smashed, you're isolated for months. And um, if the operation is successful, fantastic. Many people pass away in the stem cell transplant process, particularly if they're using other people's stem cells. Cut a long story short, if I show you the scan, it is so obvious. It's round there. It's taken out. And to everyone's amazement, it is not cancer. And in fact, there's only one lump, which is in a lymph node, which takes me from a stage four back to a stage one, which means that it's fixable. I ask multiple opinions of people and all they say is, look, it's just, you know, lucky it could have been, you know, anything, but everything there suggested that it was cancer. I say to myself now that um, there's a spiritual solution to every problem. You've got to understand there are certain things in life that you've got control of, and there are certain things that you don't have control of. And um, here's my take on religion. I wish had religion, religion shoved down my throat when I was young, Typical, you know, like a Greek boy, Greek Orthodox, um, never really paid attention. And I've gone back on by myself. I've gone back by myself and I do it because I read lots of rich literature. I read everything on spirituality. I read anything on God. I read stuff on Jesus. I've read about all the religions and all I can tell you is that I've accepted that there is a spiritual solution to every problem on this planet. And sometimes you can't go to a bank manager. Sometimes you can't go to the best attorney. Sometimes you can't go to the medical practitioner. You've got to go up a level. And that is when you go up to God. Every night that I couldn't sleep, I would say, let go and let God. Guys, I'm not preaching to you, but I'm saying to you is this, that as I leave you on this rant tonight, I want you to understand that you are here, like higher purchase, you are loaning time on this planet, you came with nothing, and you 're leaving with nothing. You may as well when they bury you, make sure you 've got no pockets on the clothes that they put you on, because you won 't be needing any pockets because there 's nothing to put in them because you 're not going with anything i 'm going to tell you that you are a spiritual being having a human experience and that this time at some point may end. For many of the people, they're going to live to 80. Some people are going to live to 70. Some people are going to live to 60. Some people are going to live to 90. You don't have a lot of control over the day that you will depart from this planet and then you will move on to what I call the next life, which is a life of eternity. Guys and girls, I want to thank you so much for your attention. And I want you to understand this week, if you've got the opportunity to be nice to someone, be nice, because you might be the only one that is. God bless you. Let's watch the second half Sydney FC. Thanks for tuning in, guys and girls. You can join me on Facebook for the live Sunday Night Rant Every week at 8:30 PM Australian Eastern Standard Time, and if you're in real estate, just Google Tom Panos and you'll find a heap of resources and interviews where million-dollar agents share their strategies. See you next week. Let's have a look at the facts. Watch your dog.